1: But I'm working out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Making my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is oh, on the, man, the phone. Here. We. Yeah. your podcast presented by Bad Fred Sportsbook. It is Monday, February 19th. 2023 people, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great Presidents' Day morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to this show. Shout out to my guys William Taft and John Quincy Adams and all those other former presidents. Hope everybody's having a great Presidents' Day. That's the point. Bottom line, we got ourselves a loaded Monday episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here's what you need to know about today's Monday show. We're going to open a little bit of football actually. So, NFL draft is actually about six, seven weeks away at this point. One interesting story from the weekend surrounding Bryce Young. Todd McShay did something interesting. He said something interesting about Bryce Young, but I want to bring it kind of full circle because I do believe that Bryce Young is probably the most interesting story in what should be a very interesting NFL draft for a couple different reasons. So we'll talk about the quote, what it means, and what I think kind of just about this draft in general. Then the rest of the show is college hoops kansas an insane rally against baylor is it time to start talking about kansas potentially going back to back also we'll talk about the rest of the results from the weekend kentucky dominant win against tennessee is kentucky now a team that you don't want to see in the tournament as they have picked up back-to-back quality wins beaten tennessee twice we'll talk about the vol aspect of things North Carolina loses again. They ain't going to the tournament unless something crazy happens. Uh, And we'll just kind of rip through the rest of the college basketball day that was and weekend that was because it was a fun weekend of games. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day. So listen, we don't talk a ton of NFL draft stuff on this show really until about April or so. Now, we talk a lot of college football because college football is fun. There's obviously an overlap with the NFL Draft, college players going pro. So we will ramp up the NFL Draft coverage after March Madness in a couple weeks. Uh, But right now, it's mostly college basketball. And part of the reason why I don't do a ton of NFL Draft stuff this time of year is because, to be blunt, there really isn't anything new or interesting to discuss now, just because your favorite writer comes out with a new mock draft every other day, here's the bottom line. This is what you need to know about the mo- this moment in time in the NFL draft cycle. For the most part, nothing is happening, okay? All your favorite college football players, they're working out in Vegas or L.A. or Miami or Arizona. They're getting ready for the combine. When the combine starts, that's when teams have one-on-one interviews with players From there, we have pro days. From there, we have teams flying into schools and prospects flying into individual cities. But right now, there just isn't that much going on. But of course, just because there's nothing going on doesn't stop, again, the content creators from creating content. And I don't blame anybody. I'm a content creator myself. Every day, you need new topics and conversations. And so it was very interesting because Todd McShay, who I think is a really good NFL draft expert, Last week, he put out not one, but two NFL mock drafts. Again, you don't need two mock drafts when absolutely nothing has changed, but that's the world that we live in. Um, And as part of the news cycle, he puts out the mock drafts. He's really good at what he does. And then he goes on TV and talks about it. So over the weekend, he was talking about one of his mock drafts and he had something very interesting to say about Bryce Young. I want to tell you what he said, and I want to break it down because I find this fascinating, and I'll tell you, I think it speaks to kind of where the conversation is going to go with the NFL draft. So Todd McShay asked about kind of QB1, if you will, in the NFL draft and also talk, talking about the situation in one of his mock drafts where he had the Indianapolis Colts who are not selecting number one. Remember, the Chicago Bears are selecting number one, but he has the Indianapolis Colts trading up to get the first pick. And so here is what he said about Bryce Young. Todd McShay said, "Listen, he's undersized, and I get it. He's only five foot ten and a half, maybe five foot eleven, and one hundred ninety-five pounds. Hopefully, he gets to two hundred pounds by the combine. But he's just different. When you study the tape, and I love C.J. Stroud, and I think he has a chance to be a really good player. But to me, Bryce Young is a smaller version of Patrick Mahomes." He's so poised in the pocket. He has an understanding of where pressure is coming from. He can carry your football team. So how about that? If you wanted a banger to start your NFL draft coverage, how about we have Todd McShay comparing Bryce Young to one of the all-time great quarterbacks who actually plays nothing like Bryce Young at all? And so I want to start with the comments. And let me start by saying this. Listen, I, I, I want to start. I only think it's fair. I don't think Todd McShay said this with the intention of making headlines. Now, listen, there are people in the media that say stuff hoping to create headlines and create interest. Some would accuse me of doing that. I don't believe that is what Todd McShay tried to do in this situation. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, Todd McShay just said it to get clicks or get likes or get this or get that. I think Todd McShay was trying to compliment Bryce Young. He was trying to say he was poised in the pocket. But I would also say that in general, and this goes to my NBA draft coverage, my NFL draft coverage, maybe now that I'm a college baseball guy, I'll start paying attention to the MLB draft. I don't love comparing all time. I don't love comparing prospects to literally maybe the greatest player who has ever done it, right? Like, like, that's just something that drives me crazy about this NBA draft stuff, this NFL draft stuff, whatever. You can say Bryce Young is poised without comparing him to Patrick Mahomes. There are a lot of really talented, really poised quarterbacks in the NFL. Trevor Lawrence, who's really talented, went number one overall, won one playoff game in his career. He's really poised. I think Joe is pretty poised. I think Kirk Cousins is very poised. So if the argument is that he's poised, you can do it without comparing him to Patrick Mahomes, but I'll take it a step further. I think that's actually a terrible comparison for two reasons. One, I don't think of Patrick Mahomes as a poised quarterback. As a matter of fact, I think Patrick Mahomes, his greatest skill is that he is at his best in absolute chaos. Think about last week's Super Bowl. He's playing on one ankle, got a shot at halftime, makes a big play, makes a big run to set up the go-ahead score in chaos. His best plays are when he's running around, when he's throwing on a sidearm angle, when he, you know he's breaking tackles, when he's throwing underhand, when he's doing whatever as I knock over my desk as I'm recording because I'm so fired up. When I think of poise, I don't think of Patrick Mahomes. And when I think of the way Patrick Mahomes plays, I don't think of Bryce Young at all. I've said all along. I think Bryce Young, honestly, if I'm being perfectly honest, I think he's much more Russell Wilson, you know, kind of Russell Wilson pre-Denver Broncos than anybody else. Now, once Russell Wilson went to the Broncos, I have no idea what happened. And maybe that starts to get fixed here in the Sean Payton era. But to me, he's Russell Wilson, smaller poised. See, I think of Russell Wilson. When I think of poised, confident, good leader, all of the things that you would have described Russell Wilson as in Seattle, not saying he's been perfect in Denver. Maybe it gets figured out. Maybe it doesn't, but that's always been the comparison to me. So don't love comparing him to an all-time great, but I really don't love comparing him to an all-time great. That doesn't play anything like him. But why I wanted to talk about this is one, I just want to talk about the quote. I found it fascinating and not good. But by the way, I talk for a living. I say dumb stuff all the time. So I'm not like criticizing Todd McShay. It's just the reality. But also what I find very interesting about the Todd McShay quote and really the conversation that it led to is that something really struck me when I was thinking about this quote. What struck me was Bryce Young I think this year in this NFL draft cycle, there's always like one story that overtakes everything else, right? A few years ago, it was Kyler Murray. Should he play baseball? Then he decided to play football, and we kind of moved on to the next story. Uh, Joe Burrow, was he definitively number one? Tua, where did Tua, Where should Tua go after the, the injury that he had at Alabama? But I think when I think about this NFL draft, what this story says to me, Bryce Young is going to be the story. And it's for a really interesting reason that I'm not totally sure that I've ever seen before. I don't know that right now, somebody that's being truly genuine, not someone that's disingenuous, not somebody that's going for clicks. We all kind of agree that Bryce Young is QB1, right? C.J. Stroud, I would argue, never won a meaningful game in his college career. Now, to his credit, C.J. Stroud played well in that uh, national semifinal loss to Georgia. But 0-2 against Michigan, zero Big Ten championships, was great in the playoff, but he never won a game of of real magnitude. As a matter of fact, he didn't play well in most of the biggest games. Will Levis, maybe that's another conversation for another day. I love you guys, Kentucky fans. I don't see number one overall pick, although I understand he was playing behind a terrible offensive line. Um, You know, the run game wasn't great. The play calling wasn't great. All that good stuff. Anthony, whatever. The point is, Bryce Young is probably QB1. But there's two interesting twists. Usually when you just have QB1, that's the end of the conversation. Well, QB1 is Trevor Lawrence. Jacksonville's taking him. QB1 is Joe Burrow. Cincinnati's taking him. Here's why the Bryce Young conversation is fascinating this year, though. The team that's picking number one overall doesn't need a quarterback. As a matter of fact, you could argue the only thing the Bears have going for him is that Justin Fields is, a, is I think, a pretty good NFL quarterback. And so it becomes interesting at number one. Because you start to ask the question, what are the Bears going to do? Are they going to keep the pick and try to get help around Justin Fields? Maybe Will Anderson, Bryce Young's teammate at Alabama, the edge rusher. Maybe Jalen Carter from Georgia. Do they trade the pick of number one overall? Trade back, get extra draft picks to help Justin Fields? Justin Fields and the Bears need a lot of help. I'm not sure quarterback is in like their top five priorities. Need to be better on defense. Need to get Justin Fields some weapons. Need to get Justin Fields real a real offensive line in front of him. So do they trade back? But then, of course, there is the scenario where they keep the pick, draft Bryce Young, and trade Justin Fields. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this all plays out. Now, if you're just asking me, and that's not really the point of this segment, I'm keeping Justin Fields and trading the pick. I think Justin Fields is built for Chicago. He's big. He's strong. He's proven that he can make plays with his legs, like by literally becoming the all-time single season rushing leader for a quarterback in NFL history this year. So I keep the, I I keep Justin Fields. I trade back. Somebody's going to want Bryce young. And I think that other places that need quarterbacks, whether it's Houston, Indianapolis probably make more sense for Bryce young, but it'll be interesting to see what the, the bears do at one, how the draft plays out. And what'll be interesting to see is if everyone does agree that Bryce young is QB one, I think they do. But there's definitely some questions. This isn't Joe Burrow. This certainly isn't Trevor Lawrence. Bryce Young got injured last year, and he's very small. Five foot ten. Todd McShay said he is tiny. I've seen him in person once. He's tiny. Now I'd take him number one if I wasn't the Bears. But it's going to be a question, as is his injury history. Now I'll say this: I think the injury history stuff is largely overblown. The injury he got against Arkansas this year had nothing to do with his size. It could have happened anywhere. He was stretching for a first down and extended his arm. So this isn't, to me, a situation like Tua, where Tua was continually hurt in his college career. There were other guys, not like a a Sam Darnold who was just inconsistent. No, Bryce Young was awesome every time he was on the field. And if I wasn't the Bears, I would take him at number one overall. This is the story that we are going to have to monitor, and I guarantee we will talk about as the NFL draft process plays out. Now, it's funny. I just kind of showed all my cards. I would not draft Bryce Young overall, number one overall, and trade Justin Fields. But if I was the Colts or if I was the Texans, I would do what I could to move up. Fascinating conversation, interesting conversation, but let's just say this. We can compliment Bryce Young. We can talk about his poise and his talent and his skill and his leadership. Not sure comparing him to Patrick Mahomes is the way to go. I just want to do take a quick break. Come back. We'll talk the weekend that was in college hoops, Kansas mega comeback against Baylor. This game was wild. Is it time to start talking about Kansas as a potential back-to-back national champion? We haven't had one since 2007 and 2008, 2006 and 2007, actually. Then we'll talk about the Kentucky Tennessee game, Houston wins, North Carolina loses all that good stuff. Take a quick break. Come back. Talk some college hoops. All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story. Started in 1967 in the U.K., over 1,600 shops in the U.K. have come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals. Colorado Rockies, Denver Broncos, and what I love about working with Betfred, nobody does more for their customers than Betfred does. Okay, I've told you before, but I'm going to keep telling you. Cincinnati Bengals games, that Betfred suite is rocking. They had a New Year's Eve into New Year's Day party for the launch of sports betting in the state of Ohio. Shout out to all of you who were there. Obviously, beyond that, there is the Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. We have sent listeners of this show to those tailgates. Colorado Rockies, first pitch at those games. Bet Fred does more for their customers than anybody. And here is what they are doing for listeners of the Aaron Torres podcast, okay? So what you got to do, bet 50 on any game and new users. How about this? Get up to $1,000 in free bets. There are no catches. There are no gimmicks. Here's what you need to know. Bet 50 on any game, you get automatically $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get $200 insurance on your first five weeks as a BetFred customer. So you decided, hey, I'm going to bet this big game, $100, $200, whatever. You end up losing it. They're going to insure you for that game. So up to five weeks, up to $200 plus $111 for signing up for BetFred today, if you're going to want to do it. Download the Betfred Fred Sportsbook app. Tell them Torres sent you. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, the Bet Fred Sportsbook.
0: In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears and I want to talk a little bit of college hoops because it is officially that time, man. Guys and girls, it is February 20th, 2023 today. We are eight days away from the NCAA tournament. We are 20 days from selection. We are under three weeks from Selection Sunday. Three weeks from today, we are going to have a bracket. And so it's time to start talking about these games and these matchups and what it all means. And so I want to start with the big game of the weekend, and we're going to get to some of the other ones. Uh, I want to start with Kansas Baylor. I should mention, by the way, the NCAA did on Saturday do that, that mock bracket reveal thing. If you remember, I've talked about this in years past, but essentially the college football playoff committee has done that top four bracket for years and people love it. They do it on a Tuesday. We talk about it for two, three days, whatever. The NCAA about five, six years ago decided they wanted to do the mock bracket as well. Create some excitement for college basketball. Just one problem. They do it on Saturday morning before all of the games are played. And so, like, yes, I think it was worth noting that the four number one seeds, according to the NCAA, if the tournament was played today, the the four number one seeds would be Alabama, Purdue, Houston, and Kansas. The four number two seeds would be Texas, Arizona, Baylor, and UCLA. But at the end of the day, it makes zero sense to do this on a Saturday. They should do it on a Sunday. So I'm not going to talk too much about it. Let's get into the games themselves. Because there was one game that had major, major, major implications. And again, we'll get to some of the other ones. Kansas, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, we'll get to uh, North Carolina, North Carolina State, all that good stuff. But I want to start with a game that was the best game on the schedule on Saturday afternoon. Kansas hosting Baylor. Top 10 matchup. Again, worth noting, Kansas was a number one seed in that preseason, uh, that, that NCAA tournament mock reveal. Baylor was a number two seed. So really good game. Baylor walks in having won 10 of their last 11 games. And I will just tell you this fascinating start to the game. As Baylor walks into fog Allen Fieldhouse, plants their flag like Baker Mayfield at half court and completely dominates. They are up 52, uh, 45 to 32. They're up 13 points going into halftime. And then in something that I have never really quite seen, Kansas just completely flipped a switch and dominated the second half of that game. So again, Kansas was down 13 at the half. They end up winning that game. Final score, 87-71, which means that Kansas outscored Baylor, a top-10 team that had won 10 of 11 games in the toughest conference in college basketball. Kansas outscored Baylor in the second half by, are you ready for this? 29 points, top-10 team. 29 points, Kansas wins by 16, Kansas dominates, and I'll just be blunt, let's get to the theme of this segment. Is it time to start talking about Kansas as our potential first back-to-back national champion since the 2006-2007 Florida Gators? Because I think there might be. Let's talk about this game itself. Uh, you know, listen, Baylor, as I said, was largely dominant. 45 points in the first half, I think what's worth noting 39 of them came from their star backcourt. They have three phenomenal guards. You talk about great guard play. Baylor this year is the gold standard. Adam Flagler, part of that national championship team two years ago. Keontae George, five-star freshman. He will be a top 10 pick in the draft. Uh, Also, LJ Cryer is the third guy. LJ Cryer is kind of an interesting story. He averaged like 41 points a game as a senior in high school came in the year of the national championship season, red-shirted, he's been hurt, he's just getting hot. But again, Baylor was phenomenal early, but Kansas made all the adjustments late. And when I think about the big picture of this game, outside of the, the big picture stuff with the national title stuff in a minute, you know what jumps immediately to mind? Bill Self is a dog. Bill Self, as the kids say, is him. Bill Self is that dude, okay? And what I would say, listen, on this show, I have been very critical over the past four or five years of Bill Self because I thought he got away with some stuff in the FBI stuff. The coverage of it was different of him than, say, a Sean Miller at Arizona, a Will Wade at LSU, even a Rick Patino at Louisville. But between the white lines, no matter what you think of what happened in the FBI stuff, and if we assume that most everybody was doing something between the white lines, there is nobody in the same stratosphere as Bill Self in college basketball right now. Okay. And so what this game to me was, it was just a coaching clinic where you're facing another coach that has won a national championship. You go into halftime and just you you have him on his heels the entire second half. Now, I'm not an X's and O's guy, but I saw, I thought it was interesting, Fran Fraschilla, who called the game, sent out some tweets on Sunday morning that basically said they switched the entire defensive scheme. And that kind of in its own right speaks to how great Bill Self is as a coach, that you go in with one game plan. It's clearly not working. You completely switch. And how about this? That first half where those three guards scored 39 points, they were held to 18 in the second half. Low shooting percentage. Most of them came when the game was already done. Again, it was just a master class, and it speaks to Bill Self, man. He's the best coach in college basketball. I think he is by far the best talent developer in the sport. I've talked about it before, but nobody takes more three-star and four-star guys and turns them into NBA players. Ochai Abaji last year, Jalen Wilson this year is going to be an All-American. Was not a top fifty prospect coming out of high school. Dewan Harris was a fringe top 100 prospect that is now going to be a multi-year starter on a team that won a national championship last year and potentially a big 12 title this year. There is nobody like Bill Self in college basketball. But when you look in the big picture, I got to ask why can't Kansas win a national championship? Because this is what they do every single year. And I'm going to put down a little note for Aaron, Wright, Aaron wrong this week, because What did I tell you when they went on that three game losing streak in early January? I said, I have seen Kansas do this before. I have seen them start big 12 play one and two, two and four, three and four, three and two, two and three. And they always figure it out because there's nobody like Bill. So fast forward to right now, they have figured it out. They are getting so much more contribution across the board early in the year. The kid Jalen Wilson, he's an all American, but if he didn't go for 25, they had no chance. Well, on Saturday he was good, 21 points, but 6 of 16 shooting 0 for 5. It was far from his best game. But K.J. Adams, a big guy who's a little bit of an undersized 5, he is rounding into form. Another player that was really under-recruited coming out of high school. 17 points on Saturday, 15 points in the win over Oklahoma State early in the week, four straight games of double figures. DeWan Harris, I just mentioned him, was a starter on last year's national championship team. In their three-game losing streak scored a combined four points on Saturday against Baylor. Again, going up against multiple guards who will almost certainly play in the NBA. Dewan Harris' second half took over. 14 points, nine assists, two steals, one turnover. You talk about a second half. How about that? And so when we start talking about teams that are good enough to win the national championship, the conversation, I don't know if it starts with Kansas, but they're in that upper, upper, upper tier. One. They're in line to get a number one seed. They still have four games left in the regular season. They actually play at TCU tonight. That is going to be a really tough one at TCU, West Virginia at home, Texas Tech at home, at Texas to close the regular season. You know, Texas is tied with them atop the standings, but they're going to finish either one or two in the Big 12. But they're probably, unless they go like one in three, one in four, you know, if they lose their opener in the Big 12 tournament, they're probably going to end up with a number one seed. So they're going to end up with a number one seed. By the way, the Midwest region goes through Kansas City, which is basically Kansas's home away from home, even though it's in the bordering state of Missouri. And I just look at this team and I say, tell me, why can't they? If you win the Big 12 this year, you're good enough to win the national championship. If you end up with the number one seed, you're good enough to win the national championship. If you're battle-tested the way they are, and that's the incredible part. Again, three-game losing streak in the middle of the year. Since then, overall, They are 6-1 and with the only loss against Iowa State, a a three-seed in that mock bracket at Iowa State. Wins at Kentucky, at Oklahoma State, which is a tournament team. Baylor at home, Kansas State at home. This is what they do, and they're picking up steam. And when you look across college basketball, yeah, I think Alabama would give them fits, but I don't think Alabama would dominate them. I think uh, Purdue would be interesting, but I think they'd beat Purdue. I think Arizona would be interesting. I think they beat Arizona. Same with UCLA. I could go on and on. Oh, by the way, Baylor, they just beat. Baylor's going to be a two seed, maybe a one seed. They just beat them by 17 points. Texas, they just beat. So you start talking about the teams that they're capable of beating. I'm not saying Kansas definitively repeats as national champion. But what I will say, they're in as good a position as anybody that I can remember in recent years. From the Baylor perspective, listen, I I don't know that there's a ton to take away. I know that you finished, you lost this game. This feels like one where you just burn the tape. Now, what I will say about Baylor, I think the next two weeks for them are going to be really interesting. Because if you look at that 10 wins in 11 games, they caught the quote-unquote worst teams in the Big 12 during that stretch. And there are no real bad teams. And they caught a lot of teams with injuries. So you look at their wins during that stretch. Two wins over Texas Tech. Texas Tech is currently tied for ninth in the Big 12 standings out of 10 teams. Um, They beat Kansas at home before Kansas really figured it out. Two wins over Oklahoma, which is in last place in the Big 12. One win over West Virginia, which is tied for ninth place in the Big 12. You beat TCU without Mike Miles. So from the Baylor perspective, it'll be interesting. They're really good. Those guards are really good. But they also kind of, a, they also got a nice stretch where they either played the worst teams in the league again, last place Oklahoma twice, tied for ninth Texas Tech twice, tied for ninth West Virginia once. And then on top of that, they got a couple teams like TCU at home. Their last four are going to tell us a lot. Tuesday night, they play at Kansas State. That is going to be a fascinating one. Then they host Texas, then at Oklahoma State, then Iowa State to close the season. They go 4-0 and in that stretch. They might be your national championship favorites. I think they're probably going like two and two. And then from there, they're really good. But then do they fall to the three line? Do they fall to the two line? What does it mean? I would just say this. I really like Baylor. I think they might be best built as well as anybody to win the national championship. I I went through my top five last week. We're going to learn a lot about them, though
0: The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
1: J-j-jumba.
0: ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Let's switch gears and talk about some of the other results from across college hoops this weekend. Uh, and let's start with what I would argue is maybe the most interesting result of the week. I don't know if it's the biggest result, but it's certainly the most interesting and it came from beautiful Rupp Arena, where 10th-ranked Tennessee walked into Rupp Arena, a, t- a four-point favorite in the sports Sportsbook. This, of course, fresh off of a win against the number one-ranked team in the country, the Alabama Crimson Tide, Tennessee coming in with momentum, Tennessee coming in as a four-point favorite of the sports Sportsbook. And they walked out with an absolute butt-kicking. Final score in this one, Kentucky 66, Tennessee 54. And let me just say this. You talk about a heck of a week for Kentucky basketball. You know you had a good week when this happens. When you play two games, but you pick up three quad one wins. So quad one, of course, is the most important, most high-profile wins in college basketball, according to the net ranking. That is the ranking that the NCAA uses to put teams into the field and seed them when they get there. Well, Kentucky played two games and picked up three quad three wins, Because their win at Mississippi State on Wednesday was a quad one win. I think I said quad three wins. Quad one win. Three quad one wins, okay? At Mississippi State, they beat Tennessee at home. And also, their win earlier in the year against Texas A&M, as Texas A&M continues to play really well in SEC play, that Texas A&M win now moved, moved into the quad one territory. So three quad one wins with the victories this week. Kentucky is now officially off the bubble. Very comfortably into the NCAA tournament. And let me just say this. Kentucky, it looks like, is going to get in, just like I told you they were going to all season long, by the way. And if they get in, tell me why this isn't a team that other teams shouldn't be very afraid to see in their bracket. Now, let's get, first of all, before we get into the big picture with Kentucky, small picture, I think you could argue this was their best effort. Listen, I know that they won in Knoxville a few weeks ago. That was a weird game, low scoring, a million fouls. Tennessee missed a bunch of layups, all that good stuff. This was a butt kicking from start to finish. Kentucky was up 39-19 to at halftime. It got a little bit interesting kind of midway through the second half. But then Kentucky ran away with it. They ran away with it because I believe this was their best effort of the season. One, the defense was there. I know Tennessee isn't exactly the Harlem Globetrotters or the uh, you know the uh, Golden State Warriors when it comes to offensive efficiency, but whenever you hold any team to 54 points on um, 37% shooting from the field, and oh, by the way, 22% shooting from three, you did a pretty good job. That is what Kentucky did. Great on defense was one of their best defensive efforts of the year. I also thought they did a great job of matching Tennessee's toughness. Listen, we just saw what Tennessee did to Alabama the other day. Now, Alabama fans would say maybe some of it was the refs, but regardless, Tennessee wants to out-tough you. They want to beat you up. They want to get in your head. We saw the quotes from Oscar Shibwe after the game. Euros Plovich was apparently saying, I'm your daddy. I'm your baby daddy. Whatever he was saying, they want to get in your head. They want to be physical. They want to beat you up. Well, Kentucky was plus eight on the boards. And most importantly, what I would say is this. I think Kentucky has dealt with a lot of injuries, which we'll get into in a minute. But as the last wave of injuries has happened, it has allowed the bench to shorten and it has allowed other players to step up. So why did they win this game? Great on defense, more tough. They're also getting great production from places that they didn't before. I think the player that's really emerged over the last three, four games is Chris Livingston, the freshman from Akron, Ohio. 12 points on Saturday against Tennessee, 13 in the win against Mississippi State. And when you start getting production from him, on top of Casey Wallace, on top of Oscar Shibwe, that is a really dangerous team. Speaking of dangerous, I'm just going to say it again. Tell me why this team can't get into the tournament, won't get into the tournament, and won't strike fear in people when they get there. Now, let me say this before I keep going, because a lot of people were saying, well, Torres, you flip-flop, and you say you like Kentucky, and then you say you hate Kentucky. Well, thankfully, you guys and girls are listeners of this show, and you know what I've said about Kentucky all along. I've had two definitive stances on Kentucky. One, I said in mid-January after the Vanderbilt game, when Kentucky won at Vanderbilt, I said I'm never calling for John Calipari's job again. Now, I did it earlier in the year when they lost to UCLA, but I said I'm never calling for John Calipari's job again because i he's just, there's no guarantee. Every year he has you in the hunt, and you can like him, you can hate him. Should you be doing more? Should it take you until January or February to figure it out? but there's no other coach in college basketball that guarantees you to be in the hunt every year like John Calipari. So one, I said, I'm never calling for his job again. And two, what I also said was I never wavered that I believe this team was going to make the NCAA tournament, okay? I said it after the South Carolina loss. I said it after the Georgia loss. I said, as long as they can withstand these injuries, they're going to be okay. Well, now they've withstood these injuries and that's why I think this team can be so dangerous. One, as I said, As the injuries have happened, it has allowed their rotation to kind of tighten up, get good players in confident positions where they're not looking over their shoulders, wondering if Calipari is going to pull them. They're just going out and playing and being more confident. But two, the reason that I'm starting to like this team, listen, we all get caught up in the moment of Kentucky basketball. When you win, what does it mean? When you lose, what does it mean? I also think that like, we probably don't appreciate everything that this team has gone through throughout the year. Think about everything this team has gone through throughout the year. Oscar Sheebway undergoes surgery. People forget this. He had surgery like a month before the season. Didn't practice in the lead-up to the season. Basically, his first real action was in the season opener against Michigan State. Case and Wallace, their best player, has dealt with back injuries in and out of the lineup, spasms, in, out, this, that, the other thing. Jacob Toppin missed a few games. Oh, by the way, Severe Wheeler and C.J. Frederick three, you know, three, four games ago against Georgia, just out of nowhere, not out of nowhere, but they weren't available. And so you look at this Kentucky team. I'm not saying that John Calipari needs to be absolved and that he couldn't do a better job and that they shouldn't have beaten South Carolina. Some of the lineups could have been better earlier, but that's all. I mean, I I literally just mentioned five guys that have been starting players for this team. They miss time. It's going to happen. You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle to get in a groove. Think about some of the other teams that have struggled in college basketball this year. First of all, Tennessee was missing two starters on Saturday. You could crush Rick Barnes, and he's not the guy, and they're not going to do well in March. They were down two of their most important players. Arkansas this year. Preseason top five team, according to most people, including myself. Well, you lose Nick Smith, then you get him back, then you lose him again. Now you have him back. It's going to be an adjustment period. Also, Trevin Brazil, another first-rounder. You lose him, it's going to be an adjustment period. Creighton, no Ryan Kalkbrenner. Shocking! An all-American center doesn't play. They go zero and four without him. That's not surprising. And it's the same with Kentucky. Everything they've been through. I think this now puts them in position to be in a great position going forward. Because one, they got their guys. Two, I'd also say this: if you can dominate Tennessee defensively and you can beat Tennessee twice, you can win at Mississippi State. You're you're tough. You're mentally tough. You can win in tough environments. I also think you're built to beat just about anybody in college basketball this year, because I think that's the important part is right now. If Kentucky just takes care of business, their final four games are at Florida this week, then Auburn, then Vanderbilt, then at Arkansas to end the season two Saturdays from now. But if you just take care of business and you do what you need to do to get in, I'm not sure that it matters. Are you a two or or, two seed? Are you a nine seed here? Are you a seven seed there? Are you an 11 seed there? just get into the freaking dance because if you do i'm going to ask you a simple question how many are, how many teams are going to have a guard the caliber of case and walls how many teams are going to have a low post presence like oscar shibwe now there are some but there aren't very many especially who you're going to be playing early in the tournament and so i look at this kentucky team and i sit there and say let's look across college basketball who do you think they can't beat because i'll tell you this they play purdue is going to be a number one seed they're going to be better at four positions on the court than Purdue center Shibway versus Edie. I'd give advantage to Edie. I'm not going to lie. Edie's seven foot four. She six foot eight. You know, I'm not great at math, but what is that? Seven inches, six inches that Zach Edie's given up to, to Oscar Shibway. So yeah, I think Oscar Shibway would probably be at a disadvantage, but Kentucky would be better at four other spots. Kansas is in line to get a number one seed. Kentucky easily could have beaten Kansas earlier this year. UCLA's in position to get a two seed. Kentucky. Wasn't very good, and they still played tough with UCLA. So you go on and on down the list. I think there are teams that give them matchup problems. Alabama's one, maybe Baylor, but there aren't that many. Who knows if you'll play them, and where are you going to play them? In the Sweet 16, in the Elite Eight, in the Final Four? So all I'm saying, the only point I'm trying to make, if you're Kentucky, just get to the NCAA tournament, because I actually think you'll be pretty good once you get there. Really quickly, let's look at some of the other results. Uh, from across college basketball, beyond the Kentucky game. And actually, before we even get to some of the other results, let me just do a quick thing on Tennessee, because I think we kind of know who Tennessee is at this point. Now, it's worth noting with Tennessee, they were without two key players as well. No Josiah Jordan-James, no Julian Phillips. Those are two really important players to what Tennessee does. At the same time, I also think it's kind of time to just acknowledge they are who they are, because I think there's a lot of people that don't follow this stuff day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year, that are saying, how does Tennessee... Win against number one Alabama at home and then lose to Kentucky on the road. And Alabama or Tennessee's lost three of four, the only win over the number one team in the country. But I would just say, Tennessee, listen, one, they weren't full strength, but two, we kind of know who they are at this point, right? They're tough, they're physical, you know, top five in in field goal percentage defense and scoring defense. But if they can't play a certain way, they're going to struggle. If you can get buckets on them like Kentucky did early, if you can get buckets on them like Missouri did a week ago, you can beat them. Also, let's just be honest on Tennessee. If the game is not refed a certain way, we all watched that Alabama game. Now, I'm not going to complain about the Alabama game because I'm the guy that complains about the refs. And so I'd rather see the refs let the players play, especially if it's being called fairly on both sides. But that was basically a football game in a basketball arena on, on Wednesday night Alabama and Tennessee. And so with Tennessee, I I don't need to go on, but at this point, we kind of know who they are. They can only win one certain way and they can really only win when the game is refed one certain way. So look, with the right matchups, do I think they can make a sweet 16? I do. Do I think they're a final four national championship team? I don't. I'll be curious to see how they bounce back going forward. I'll tell you what, it doesn't get any easier for Tennessee either. They go to Rupp Arena on Saturday. Oh, by the way, you got to go to Texas A&M Uh, on Tuesday night, good luck with that one. You also have Arkansas and at Auburn later on in the year, uh, really quickly, some other results from across college hoops. And I think I've said that seven times during this segment, but the first one, um, let's talk about North Carolina. So North Carolina goes to NC state on set on Sunday. Let me say this. First of all, shout out to NC state. So Kevin Keats, their head coach has been on this show before. I like Keats. I don't know him well but he has had a a tough go of it at NC state year one. He makes the tournament year two. He's the first team left out year three. They're trending to make the tournament and then COVID cancels the season. Year four is just chaos in that COVID season. And last year he had five different players with season ending injuries. And so I bring it up because they're playing really well. NC state gets the win against North Carolina. I think they've all but punched their NCA tournament ticket at this point. And I'll take it a step further. If they get into the tournament, they are going to wreak havoc for somebody. For people who haven't seen NC State, they have three really good guards, Terquavion Smith, uh, Jarkel Joyner, and Casey Morcel. Really good guards. I'm just telling you, I would be very concerned if I saw them in my bracket. Turquavian Smith's going to be a first-round pick this year. Could have been one last year, decided to come back. But NC State gets the win. But the story is Carolina. And with the loss, Carolina has now fallen to 16 and 11, 8 and 8 in the mediocre ACC. And so I bring it up for one simple reason. North Carolina has nothing even remotely resembling an NCAA tournament resume. 16 and 11, 8 and 8 in a bad ACC. For context, Syracuse, who's awful, has a better ACC record than North Carolina. Same overall record as North Carolina. And so you look at North Carolina. Here are their best wins. NC State at home, not the game that they played Sunday, but the first time they played. NC State's best player, Terquavian Smith, gets hurt. He actually got pulled out in a stretcher. Thankfully, he was okay. He landed funny. But that was your best win. Then Ohio State, which isn't making the NCAA tournament. Michigan, which isn't making the NCAA tournament. Those are not good wins. You're 0-9 in quad one games. And so I bring it up. North Carolina's not making the tournament. And if they get in, let's be honest, it's going to be on brand recognition, name recognition alone, because this team is not very good. Uh, maybe they can figure it out. They obviously have four games left. I would think they would probably need to go 4-0 and to feel really good. They still have Virginia. They still have Duke at home. And then they have North Carolina and Florida State, Notre Dame and Florida State on the road. Excuse me. Those two road games are absolute musts. And I would argue you need to win at least one of those two home games and then win a few games in the ACC tournament. This has not been good for North Carolina, and I don't think it's getting any better. Really quickly, a couple other results. Let's stay on Sunday for a second. Houston, I think with Alabama's loss this week, Houston will be number one in the country next week. Uh, By the time you guys listen to this on Monday, the new AP poll will come out. Houston will probably be number one. Well, let me say this. They beat Memphis by eight. Houston on Sunday. Memphis is the second best team in their league. I actually came away more impressed with Memphis. So Memphis was down their best player, Kendrick Davis, star guard, basically the heart and soul of everything they do. Imagine taking Anthony Black off Arkansas or Kason Wallace off Kentucky or whoever. That is what have not having Kendrick Davis is came into the game averaging twenty one point six assists per game, thirty two percent three point shooting. He was not available. Memphis still almost won at Houston, so I actually feel pretty good about Memphis. They're a great defensive team. They're an older team. We've talked about them. DeAndre Williams, twenty seven years old, the oldest player in college basketball. Um, but they are a team that you get them in the tournament, they're going to cause chaos. They're older, they're experienced, they play good defense. I really like this Memphis team for from the Houston perspective. I think you probably wanted to see a little bit more, but you get the win, you move on. Houston will be number one. I'll be honest, every time I watch Houston, I'm not blown away. It's also worth noting, Memphis is very much on the bubble. Houston really hasn't played uh, an NCAA tournament lock-type team. Since Virginia before Christmas. So, does that lack of a tough schedule come back to hurt them? I'm not willing to say that it will, but that's definitely something to monitor going forward. These two teams will play on the final day of the regular season, uh, March 5th. Hopefully, Kendrick Davis is back. Be curious to see what Memphis does there. Uh, from Saturday, a couple of results. Indiana. How about my boy Trace Jackson Davis? Let me say this: Indiana beats Illinois, a narrow tight win. I talked about Indiana on the last show. I think, they're the, I think they're the team. They're not better than Purdue per se, but I think they're better built to have tournament success. But the story here was Trace Jackson Davis, the veteran forward. How about this? Finishes with 26 points, 12 rebounds, three steals, and five assists. In the process, moves to number five all-time in Indiana scoring list. You know who he passed? Our boy Mike Effen Woodson. That's right, his coach. He surpassed his coach on the all-time scoring list. Congrats to Trace Jackson Davis. Listen, maybe we do a bigger story about Trace Jackson Davis at some point, but this kid has been unbelievable. This kid has been unbelievable. I give him so much credit, and I will be fascinated to see uh, if Indiana can keep this rolling. They're 19-8 overall. I do not believe that they can really put themselves in position to win the Big Ten. It would be tough. Purdue has a two game lead on them with four games left on the schedule. Now it is worth noting they get Purdue next Saturday night. It is on the road though. That would be tough, but this Indiana team is built to win in the NCAA tournament. Um, I think that's it. What else happened on Saturday? I, I think that's it. Alabama won by a million points. Listen, Alabama, the way that that team bounces back from, from losses is unbelievable. So credit Alabama, Providence beat Villanova. Providence plays UConn this week, and actually a very important game for both teams. We'll talk about all those, but I think that's it. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody: make sure that you're subscribed to the Air Tour Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. That's all for today's show. Shout out to Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Redick. You F head unblock me, bro. Oh, by the way, shout out, George Washington. Shout out, Abraham Lincoln. Hope everybody has a great president's day. I will be back on Wednesday. New episode.